Photography is interesting. And Chuck Close, the artist, he talks about photography being the easiest art to pick up, but the hardest to develop a voice in. Probably, especially now, because it's so ubiquitous. It's so everywhere. Everyone has a camera in their pocket. So to actually have a voice in photography... You know, now to get, I think to get to that point is the uh, I think is the goal as a photographer to be able to have someone say, "Oh, I, I, I know that that's yours. I know that that's your piece." Uh, now with post production, with Lightroom and Photoshop, you could you could do a lot of stuff in post. You could have a certain style, but sometimes that's just kind of putting a style over over your image. But uh, but that is the goal. I think that is the goal, and the answer is keep doing it. You just got to keep doing it. Pick up the camera, go out as much as you can. Uh, create as much as you can, edit as much as you can. All, uh, all the work that you do uh, culminates into uh, finding your voice. Hey, welcome to the Beginner Photography Podcast brought to you by CloudSpot, the easiest way to deliver and sell your photos online. I'm your host, Raymond Hatfield, and each week I interview one of the world's most interesting photographers to learn what it really takes to capture beautiful images and compelling stories so that you can start to do the same. In today's interview, we are chatting with photographer and curator Michael Rabibi about how to build a captivating collection of images. Today is an episode from the BPP Vault where we revisit our treasure trove of interviews to offer both new and longtime listeners a chance to uncover the powerful insights and practical tips to enhance your photography skills. So whether you're listening with fresh ears or a new perspective, there's always something new to learn. So normally when I interview a photographer, we talk about their photography. And while we do touch upon Michael's photography uh, in the beginning of this interview, he has had to develop a skill that most of us don't focus on getting better at. And that's the curation process. So Michael put together a book called California Love, which is full of photographs from California-based photographers. He had to put together a collection where the subject matter and visual style would change from page to page. You know, that is tough. So if you struggle with, you know, culling your images, meaning picking out your images, or, you know, curating your own into some sort of cohesive uh, project or story, you're going to get a lot out of this one. So with that, let's go ahead and get on into today's interview. Michael, I just want to start off nice and easy. I want to know, when did you first know that photography was going to play an important role in your life? Thanks so much for having me. Um, yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I have a vision of being super young. And seeing myself like this is, I mean, I think like so young, just because you don't really know what you're going to do when you get older. And I had this vision of me directing for some reason. I have no idea where that came from. I was like a kid in Ohio and, but I watched a lot of TV. I, I like, well, I love Sesame street probably because I lived in a suburb and I, I was somehow drawn to the urban aesthetic, I think. And like those trash cans and those brownstone stoops, somehow I was always drawn right? to that. Yeah. So I just was obsessed with Sesame street. And I was, and I was oh, I, why doesn't my neighborhood look like this? <laughs> <laughs> and now I live in a city of Los Angeles. Um, so, you know, it's funny because I, I, now that I'm older, I, I think that if you look back in your life and the things that you did when you were like sixth to eighth grade, the things that you obsessed over, that's, I think that's an early seed of what will probably make you happy for the rest of your life and what you'll want to do. And I've always been like a collector and I, I was always obsessed with movies and like watching scenes over and over again. You know, I had like a VHS and I would, I grew up in North County, San Diego. Well, I, I was in Ohio till I was 10. Then I, then I pretty much grew up in San Diego. You'd think, oh, beautiful weather you'd be at the beach, but no, I was in my bedroom watching movies all day. Like that's that was what I was obsessed with. And then I got into making, you know, videos and film, uh, you know, video production when I was like in, starting in high school and got into editing and, and, you know, shooting video. And 
and then I really got into photography more seriously when I was in college. I had the opportunity to study abroad in Florence, Italy for a semester, my sophomore year. And I took, I, I took a photography class and I had this incredible teacher who just really inspired me. And not just him, but also just being in Florence, Italy, like everything was just so picturesque and just visually stunning. I mean, you could take a walk down an alley and take a photo of a trash can. And it looks like, you know, high art, you know, just <laughs> everything is just so beautiful when you're there. And also I was very inspired, you know, being, in, you know, away from America and the, for, for the first time, really. And um, I had this great instructor who, uh, funny enough, uh, his name is James White, and he's very successful photographer. He did like the Twilight movies and he does like magazine covers. And I, and, uh, I just was really obsessed and this is, you know, film and this is being in a dark room. And this is when, you know, you're on a student budget. So you're buying large spools of film and you're rolling roll. You're making film rolls yourself, you yeah. know, so I'm packing as much film as I can. Cause you know, if you buy film commercially, it's 24, 36, you know, usually exposures, but I would try to jam like 40, 50, you know, <laughs> exposures in, in, in see as much as I can. You know, so when you go out, you don't, you don't have to like replace you know, the role as much. And, uh, and then, you know, I, I, the, he, I don't know if he was allowed to, but he gave me the keys of the dark room. So I would just do these all nighters where you're just totally geeking out over burning and dodging and making the perfect print from your negative and, and, um, and just spending, and then like, you know, you come out, you know, this heroic moment as the sun is rising and, you know, you, you, you got the right, you got the right print, <laughs> the silver gelatin print. And, um, now it's, now it's much different. Now I just spent all this time on my computer right. with, with, in Lightroom. <laughs> I love digital. Like I'm not, uh, I'm not complaining at all, but um, when you went to, you know, when you went to uh, study abroad and you brought your camera with you, I'm always, I'm always interested in that, um, that learning phase, because I feel like lots of new photographers look at photography as like, wow, if I just had a great camera, I'd be able to capture all these great moments. And then they get the camera and then realize that it's a pretty technical thing, you know? So when you first started in photography, were there any technical struggles that you, uh, that you had to overcome? You know, it's interesting. And I read somewhere that like um, obsession over the, the the tools is more of a male thing. Like I heard, I had read that like female photographers aren't as like obsessed with cameras. It's more of like a male thing. And huh. there are people that really get obsessed over the tool and it doesn't necessarily translate to their work being any better. Um, I've never really been much of a, 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 a techie person or, you know, I, I guess for me, I, I, I respect the craft and I learn as much as the craft that I can to, to express what I want to express what's in my head or, or, or what I want to document. But, um, but really the camera is just a tool. And now you could take great photos again with your cell phone, you know, and, yeah. and you could take great cameras with a plastic, a Holga, uh, a camera, you know, which you could get for under $50. And, um, uh, I think it's really, for me, it's, I've always been gravitated more towards the art, I guess, than the craft. I think you need to have both. And I think the craft, I obviously have a huge respect for the craft, but I think if a, if a, if a, if you look at one print, that's just really, really well crafted, but boring, I'd rather look at something that's maybe is uh, kind of a little sloppy, but just really Packs an emotional punch, in my Sloppy. opinion. I like that. But what about like those early days when, uh, you know, obviously you're shooting on film. Were you shooting point shoot or were these like full manual cameras? Yeah, no, I had a Nikon. Um, I've always kind of gravitated towards Nikon. It might be the font of the the Nikon logo. <laughs> it might funny. be. I had a friend, friends that had yeah. Nikon. Uh, I when digital when the full frame cameras first came out, and I switched from film. I bought a uh, the Canon 5D Mark One, and then I realized that I. I think it did not have a flash built in, no. which I didn't realize. Uh, so then luckily the Nikon, I think it was the 200 came out. So then I switched to the 200 and then I, uh, and then I got the 700, I think. And now I have the 800, 
but I'm really bummed that Nikon and a lot of the pro cameras, they, they don't give you the built-in flash anymore. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I like the built-in flash is not so much at night, but like during the day, I like to shoot like into the sun and I like to have like an extra fill to get like, you know, detail in the face or sure. to really catch eyes, you know, or, or like, you know, you're shooting into something that's like has some shadow and you want just like a little bit, you know, to play with. Mm-hmm. Um, so to finish the, the thought. So I had a Nikon, uh, it was not a point and shoot. I mean, it was, you know, pretty, it was manual, but it had, uh, you know, it had like a, the meter built in. It wasn't like the really old ones where uh, where it was completely manual. It had, it, it did have like a program setting, I believe, but it, it's great. It's like when you're starting out driving, it's great to have a stick shift. You know, you want to be able to, uh, really understand the machine, you know, mm-hmm. so it's good to start manual, understand, you know, aperture, shutter speed, you know, the basics. And then, uh, you know, then, then you could go from there. Were you always very proficient in shooting manual or was there a steep learning curve for you? No, no. I mean, the, the, the type of photography that I do is I, I don't really have like a lot of time. I'm, I'm like, just, I see something that's happening and I just want to get it right away. So I'm, I'm shameless uh, about just keeping it in program mode. I mean, there are people who like think in terms of shutter of aperture all the time and like they'll walk into a room and they'll adjust their camera to whatever the lighting is at the time. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I don't have that. Uh, I'm not that autistic. Right. <laughs> I don't have that. Yeah. I, my mind's on other things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I'm shameless. I'm shamelessly, shamelessly shoot in program mode. Um, and then, you know, I'll see if I got it. And then, but one, one thing I do do now is I'll, um, I'm able to control where my exposure is, where in the frame uh, I, I want to set the exposure to. So I'll, I'll do that. Uh, so I'm telling the camera you know, that I want this to be, I want exposed for this part of the frame you know so that that's one thing that i do constantly i I have a setting on my camera that i could do that um i know that um you today do um as you said earlier you 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 curate you you look at a lot of photos and i want to i want to talk about your book that i got here california love a visual mixtape and this thing is first of all massive (laughs) uh and second of all um there's a lot of photos that I, I guess I'll let you talk about the book and kind of where it came from. But there's a lot of photos in this book. And what I want to get to eventually here is how you came up with all the photos in here. Like what makes one photo better than uh, another? Because it's a, it's a collection of photos from many different photographers. So that must have been a huge job. So before we get into that, tell me, tell me and tell the listeners uh, about the book. Where did the idea come from? Yeah, the, uh, California Love, a visual mixtape is my COVID baby. Um, it came from an exhibit, an annual exhibit that I, I curate at the Hive Gallery and Studios uh, downtown Los Angeles. I've been doing it. This is my eighth year. I change the theme every year. Uh, we've we did uh, we've done like a fine art theme. We've done street photography. We've done naked versus nude one year. We had uh, analog versus digital alternative process one year. And then for 2020, I'm pretty political. I knew that uh, it was going to be a really contentious election year after four years of the last administration. And I wanted to do something addressing the election, but you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty, I have a lot of friends, so I have friends on both sides. I, I don't, I don't discriminate, you know, politically. I, I I'm, I'm, I welcome healthy debate and conversation, but I don't take anything personally. So anyways, I wanted to do something addressing politics without being too divisive or political. So I figured the one thing we can't, so we can't really talk about, you know, why your side is bad. So, but one thing we can do is, so I, I painted my, in a way, picture of our progressive, almost utopian version of our inclusive nation state of California. So this is kind of like my progressive view of California in a way. 
Uh, it's not just photography, but it's a lot of quotes from writers from California or writers talking about California. And it's a collection of 110 photographers from all over California. And it really celebrates California. What makes California unique? What makes California what it is? What do, my view of what defines California. And so it started as an exhibit in 2020 in March. Uh, we had an incredible opening and then the, and then COVID hit like days later. Uh, so, so, the show, so suddenly it was like, oh man, I was, because you put a lot of work into these shows. You, a lot of people show up to the opening and then it's up for a month and you're hoping people show up and ideally buy work. But um, so that wasn't really happening. So then I, I realized I was going to be home for a while. So I switched gears and I like doing books. I reached out to photographers who I knew and I reached out to photographers who I didn't know. And, and I, I put together this, this book, it's 110 photographers. It's over 600 images. It's 320 pages. And it is a really big meal. And, and I wanted to make it a big meal because um, my first book, American Bachelor is a, is a, a 120, 130 some pages. And I had a friend who uh, who said, "Oh, I saw your book. I went to the bookstore, and it was so good. I sat, I went through the whole thing, but she didn't buy it. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, I'm very aware of that. Like, if you're doing a book, it's nice to have a, it's nice to have something that you can't just just go through in one sitting. Yeah, you need to take it home. You need to spend some time with it. And also, I think the more time you spend with it, too, it packs a more emotional punch to it. It, it stays with people more. And yeah, I'm very very proud of it." I love um, I love a lot of things about your book, and I think I told you in an email that I sent to you that it feels, at least having grown up in California, that it feels that there's a lot of it that feels very familiar. But also, I find what's interesting is that, and I was thinking about this uh, right before, we as photographers tend to photograph the things that we find interesting or. I feel like uh, photographers love a good juxtaposition, right? We love um, a good, I don't know, uh, expensive car, you know, and then on the sidewalk is a homeless man or something. You know, that's a very common photo that you could that you could think of. And when you look through the book, there's a lot of photos that I feel meet that juxtaposition, which is strange because it's like that's not necessarily like the Calif that's not the everyday California, right? That is that is something interesting that happened uh, in that time. So I want to know, like. For the book, what was it that was tying the entire book together outside of, oh, all these photos just happened in California? Yeah, juxtaposition. I mean, that's the history of art, right? I mean, like uh, the artists have been you know doing this forever, artists, writers. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, so I guess that everything's filtered through my taste and that comes from my life experience and me traveling and me going to museums. Like I enjoy going to museums. Um, not everybody does. Like when I, when I go, some, some people like their idea of an ideal vacation is to sit on a beach and drink a beer or a margarita and do nothing at all, which good for them. I mean, like you should do what makes you happy for hundred percent. I like more cultural experiences. So I'm always going to museums. I lived in Paris for, for, for a little while and I went to museums constantly. I, I'm, I'm always going to galleries. Uh, luckily I live in Los Angeles, which is possibly the cultural capital of the world. I mean, I go to museum, go to museums and gallery shows all the time. That's I'm always constantly looking at stuff. Uh, I get daily email blasts from like, uh, like lens scratch, your photo daily, um, the eye of photography. I'm always looking, I'm always discovering new work. I'm, 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 I'm always looking at stuff. So, that's you know that hones my filter and then the book is a compilation of my years of experience and things i've seen and things that i've gravitated towards and things that i love and eliminating things that i don't like or things that maybe um are too repetitive like you know sometimes i'll i'll pass on something it's not because i don't like it because i already have this other thing that's very similar and i don't want to put two things that are that are too similar so there is an art to creation and and I, I recommend, uh, I think curation and, and curation and photo editing are so important for a, photo for a photographer, not, not just going out and creating the work, but really 
uh, honing and sharpening your eye and your and your taste is extremely important. So yeah, curation has absolutely defined who I am as a photographer. I'd have to say. You said that there's 110 photographers in this book, right? Yeah. I want to know how did the um, how did the process start? Did you just reach out to these photographers and say, "Hey, can you send me four or five photos?" Or did you say, "Hey, send me all of your photos. I want to pick out your best ones to put in into this book." I'm I'm pretty good about going through, and I'm pretty quick, so I, I could fly through a lot of images pretty quickly. So um, uh, I had people, you know, I want to I wanted everyone to be happy, so it's kind of a negotiation. Like I want the photographer to show what they want to show, but at the same time, I want to. I'm looking at the whole book. Like they're not looking at 320 pages; they're looking at just their, you know, sure. what's what's in there. So they're just seeing like a small piece of it. So. Um, yeah, I mean, with some photographers, it's a negotiation, and it's a, a, some it's more more than others, and some are just very open to yeah, whatever you want to put in, you know, you know, go ahead. This is a good lesson for photographers because you could really tell some, uh, and it doesn't even really matter if you're a beginner or or even more advanced. Some people are really good about about deliberately sending images uh, to me like a like a concise file of of images that are ready to go, and some will send me so many images and it's like, why are you sending me four photos of the exact same thing? I mean, that, that yeah. just shows that it's almost amateurish and it's, and these are not amateur photographers, you know? So again, photo editing, you have to spend the time photo editing. You have to be able to look and, and working as a commercial photographer does help with this. Like if you, if you're shooting headshots, I've done headshots for years. And when you're shooting, you know, if you shoot like four rolls of someone and they all look fair, if you have like two rolls of the same setup, you have to be able to pick which is the best one. And yeah, there are five that are great, but narrow down the fight, like pick one, like, and it's, and, and maybe it's not, and it's not perfect. It's completely subjective, but that's a choice. You have to start making those choices and that's going to help you define your work. And so when you have like three shots of like, you know, a car or a bird, like you have to pick what's the best photo that, 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 that that's the, it's a challenge and it's not easy, but you got to do it. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's tricky. So some photographers, uh, it was easier to, to narrow down than others, but at the end of the day, again, it was like, um, uh, everything in the book I'm happy with. So this was just so that I'm uh, I'm clear here. You would you would ask photographers for some of their work, and then would they choose the photos that would go in the book, or they would send you photos, and then you would ultimately choose the ones that go in the book. Yeah, I just realized I didn't ask you, answer your question. <laughs> um, so I, it was kind of a little bit of both. Like I would I would first tell them what I was doing with the book, and people are a little suspicious or, Oh, you know, well, you know, what are you going to do with my images? Whatever. So I had to, I thought if, if they knew me, they saw what I did they've seen my book, then they were, they were cool with it. But I, uh, I was also reaching out to people who I didn't know and didn't know me. So I had to like tell them who I was and kind of sell them on the, on the project. And um, usually I, I'm not going to approach someone unless I know specifically which images are theirs that I already want to include. So it was mostly me saying, I would like to, I would like to include these images. And then I'm, and then let's talk about any other images that you might want to include. Mm. So it usually started out that way. It was, um, and then once LACP came on, which is the Los Angeles center of photography, which everyone listening should consider joining. Uh, they have incredible classes been around forever, uh, f founded by Julia Dean, an amazing photographer and, and educator. And um, all proceeds for the California book go to the Los Angeles Center of Photography. Um, once they came on, then we did a call for submissions through LACP. So then people submitted and I selected. But again, it was me selecting. And then once I selected, then it was a conversation with the photographer to open it up to include possible other submissions that they wanted to, to, to submit. So is it safe to say that you saw tens of thousands of images in the curation of your book here? Possibly. Yeah, okay. possibly. So I didn't keep count, but yeah. Did, did you, did you say how many photos are in the book? Over 600. 
So how do you make the decision for which photo stands out over the rest? How do you get from 10,000 to 600? Is there an example maybe of photos that, that you liked, but again, just didn't fit the book or, or, or something of that nature? Yeah, I, you know, it's it's funny because like there are professional photographers who had great images, but they were they were created a few years ago and may have got maybe the original got lost in a hard drive that crashed or they can't find the negative and they just have like maybe they just have an image that had a watermark on it. So the, the, there was I was surprised that there was a, a decent amount of those images, which is, wow. you know, which happens, you know, in life. And um yeah, you know, it just really comes down to the curatorial process. You know, I've uh, having been making images for decades, uh, editing and then curating. I'm pretty clear about what I like. Yeah, I, you know what you like. Okay, so, but maybe it's not for everybody too. I mean, there, there are other skills that I don't have that other people do. This no, is no, just no, something no. I've, I've done. No, I, I get that. I get that. I get the you know you know what you like, and I think that after. Um, you know, shooting professionally for 10 plus years. Like I understand that sometimes there's something about a photo. You don't know what it is. You just like it and you're going to choose that one and, and you're going to move on. But I know that a lot of people just getting started, uh, oftentimes one of the most asked questions in the beginner photography podcast, Facebook community is like, which one is better a or B, you know, and, and I'm trying to, I guess, get yeah. some, uh, uh, some, some, some solid information that people can get to, on how they can make the decision on their own through how do you make decisions on your own to, for the photos that, that win? I think it's a great question. I think it starts with, well, uh, if you happen to be watching this on YouTube, this is my, uh, this is part books? of my, this is part of my photo book collection. Oh I'm obsessed. It used to be vinyl and I started selling off my vinyl. There used to be a wall of vinyl. So I, uh, now it's, I'm obsessed. I buy like, so many. And then I have a bunch over here that I'm still going through that I just got. Wow. So, and I'm going to libraries, I'm going to bookstores constantly. So that is going to help you make, uh, make choices. Yeah. You just got to keep like looking at stuff. I think that's how you sharpen your eye. And just taking note of what it is that you don't like versus what it is that you don't like. Yeah. And I think, and then talking, uh, being around smart people with good taste helps and you're having conversations about things and you're debating and you're, de you're defending what you like and you're hearing someone else defend what they like. And maybe, you know, you're, you're forming your opinions based on not only what you see, but, you know, you're getting information from other people. Yeah. I think it's a lifelong process and, 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 it, and things evolve too. And things change. Like I'll, I'll be selling, but like I'll buy a book and I'm really into it. And then maybe 10 years later, I'm thinking, oh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of not so into this now. Like maybe, maybe I've moved on. Hey, Raymond here. If you're sometimes baffled by which camera settings to use, then I've got just the thing for you. My free guide, Picture Perfect Camera Settings. It's a fantastic starting point for anybody eager to understand the basics of camera settings in various shooting scenarios. And it's tailored to beginners who want to get out of auto mode, providing clear, easy to follow suggestions on where to start with your settings. So whether you're capturing a stunning landscape or a family portrait, Picture Perfect Camera Settings will help you to get off of automatic mode and explore the possibilities your camera offers. Remember, mastering photography settings is a journey, and this guide is your first step. And the perfect resource to guide you towards finding the right settings for your style. So grab your copy today at perfectcamerasettings.com and start your journey to better photos. That's really interesting. I feel like you're thinking of your book. Obviously, 
hold on, what am I trying to say here? So when it comes to putting together a book, there's something that that you're trying to say. You know, this is your visual mixtape of California. This is what California represents to you. But there's still obviously a business aspect of it for you to think about and stress over when it comes to creating books. Again, this is a world that's pretty foreign to me. Were there any decisions that you had to make about the book strictly in the hopes that it sells over your own uh, artistic desires? Uh, I mean, luckily, I think my tastes are fairly commercial, board like not not uncommercial, I guess, if that's a word. Yeah, no, I, I think in general, you, you have to be aware of an audience. You know, if you're if you're making a book and you want it to sell at a bookstore, someone is going to have to want the book to be sold at that store. So it's going to have to, they're going to have to pick it. Uh, if you end up lucky enough to be, to afford a publicist, they're going to have to figure out some way to market it and sell it. You, so you have to kind of think about marketing. What's, what's interesting about this. Why would someone want to buy it? And books are expensive. Uh, if you're a novelist or a poet, you could, or if you're a writer period, you could create books on demand. Uh, you could just have the file existing on the cloud. And then as someone buys the book, it could be printed and sent directly to them through Amazon or, or, or publishing services. There are companies that do that. Not so, You can do that with Blur, but the expense is so much higher and you don't have quality control. Like I want to, I want to be able to look at the, just, uh, just to, the same with a print. I mean, you could get prints sold where it'll go directly from a third party to your to the to the customer. But I would want to be able to look at it. Plus, you you want to sign it. I would want to sign print if I'm buying a print. So for photographers, it's a little tricky. For artists, you know. So um, yeah, the the expense of making the books they're heavy. The expense of moving them around. The expense of distribution. Uh, it's 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 not cheap. So you have to in California love retails for fifty dollars, which is a pretty good value considering other fine art photography books. But you know a lot of people that that's a big expense for a lot of people. Sure. So you do have to think in terms of uh, of it being commercial enough, it being you know desirable to a wide enough audience to justify the cost and and. And just to get it to a wider, just to get it into people's hands. Yeah. Now, with all the time that you've been making books, as you said, you're on your fourth book now. Uh, how deep does the vision go before the book is created? We as photographers are taught, you know, like what makes you stand out is 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 the pre-visualization process, right? The more that you can visualize the photo in your head before you take it, the better it's going to be. So is it the same with the book? Like, are you thinking in terms of hard and soft cover, Paper types, number of pages, amount of text, like are all these things planned out before you like really started putting the book together or was it done? Um, was it more of an organic process? Uh, the, the designer that I worked with on my first uh, book, his name is Damon Robinson. He's just brilliant. And we spent a lot of time figuring out how the look and the design of, of the first book. And it was a lot of what what I wanted based on my photo collection and, and books that I, you know, I, 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 at the time I went to a ton of bookstores and I, I, uh, I've really, I found this one book by Lee Freelander called Katage. Mm. That's, um, I don't think it's that popular. I haven't really seen it around too much, but, but I, the, the, the shape of it was perfect. It just fits so perfectly ergonomically in my hand. So I copied that exact size and I like square format for me because I, I tend to shoot both uh, landscape and horizontal orientation. So with a square book, you could fit both in fairly, uh, you know, e easily. And, and you could kind of play with grid patterns and stuff. So you could have more than one image on a, on a page and it just works out really well for me. So I figured out a design with America Bachelor and I just copied that. So, uh, so, so I would recommend just, you don't have to reinvent the reel every time, find something that works for you. Um, 
And once I figured out that, then I'm, I'm pretty much using the same template in InDesign for my future books. Cause it's something that I already, I already kind of did all the, did all the, the work myself with figuring out what's perfect for me. Yeah. And again, that's in my voice that has to do with all the stuff that I've seen and you know, what I like, not everybody likes square. Some people, you know, if you, if you know that you're shooting more, more landscape or more portrait, if you're doing all portraits, then it might make not, it might not make sense to have a square book. You know, you'd want more of a portrait orientation. So these are all choices that, that, that are very, very subjective and very specific, you know, to, to the individual. I think that you just like breezed over something that was really important there. That was, you know, in photography, we have to create our own visual style and we have to shoot the things that we love in the way that we love them. Um, but you're taking that to another level. Like I also love books and I want to create books in this style that I love and the way that I like to enjoy them. And then you're merging them together, which has to just be a really, really fulfilling process to see photos that you love in a format that you love as well. That was, that was very cool. Uh, you, you said something earlier about, uh, uh, about curating, you said that you're working with, or that you've seen photos from even just like a senior in high school. Right. And, um, I think it can be difficult. Uh, I know who I was as a senior in high school and it was not any sort of, uh, you know, I wasn't able to create any sort of visual, um, story, I suppose, out of my head with a camera. But I want to know, when do you think a photographer goes from somebody who's just taking snapshots to an artist? That's a great question. And it's a very, very important question. And the answer is, again, it's completely subjective. Some people uh, from early on, you know, have have a really strong voice. And I mean, I think that goes back to I mean, think of like junior high. There's some kids who are just so funny and just have, have, are so idiosyncratic, you know, and then there are people who maybe develop their voice like a little bit later. And and that's and who knows where that comes from. But but photography is interesting. And and Chuck Close, the artist, talks about um, photography being the eat one of the. I can't, I'm paraphrasing. And I'm sure I'm going to uh, chop it up, but he talks about photography being the easiest art to pick up, but the hardest to develop a voice in. Probably, probably, especially now because it's so ubiquitous, it's so everywhere. You know, everyone has a camera in their pocket. Uh, so to actually have a voice in photography, you know, now is is I think I think I think that's really the trick. And and I don't know what my voice is. I think my voice has to do with uh, emotion, has to do with finding, uh, um, packing some sort of like an emotional punch. Oh, I, I was very complimented because I, in this exhibit that I have up now at the Hive Gallery, I had multiple people come up and they said, oh, I knew exactly which pieces were yours, which I, which is a huge compliment, you know, because I, it's salon style and it's all, it's not all clustered together, but to have to get, I think to get to that point is the uh, I think is the goal as a photographer to be able to have someone say oh I uh, I know that that's yours I know that that's your piece uh, now with post production with Lightroom and Photoshop you could you could do a lot of stuff in post you could have a certain style but sometimes that's just kind of putting a style over over your image so I think I think you could tell when it's something that's more organically created uh, and the voice comes from a deeper place than than just like you know like a just like something that's covering it. But uh, but that is the goal. I think that is the goal. And the answer is keep doing it. You just got to keep doing it. Pick up the camera, go out as much as you can, create, capture, shoot, uh, create as much as you can, edit as much as you can. All, all the work that you do uh, culminates into finding your voice. Can you think of a, a photographer who you would consider has a really strong photographic voice? There are two ways to bring home more money with your photography business. 
You either get more clients or you spend less of the money that you make. CloudSpot Studio helps you keep more of what you earn. With the lowest payment processing fees in the industry, the average photographer will save $300 annually. And that's just more money to invest in essential gear like a new flash or a sweet camera bag. You know, one that is perfect for storing all of the wedding day snacks that you can pack. But it's not just about savings. CloudSpot Studio is designed to streamline your workflow. Easily organize shoots, send contracts, questionnaires, invoices, and you're really going to enjoy the hassle-free payments. So sign up for a free CloudSpot account at deliverphotos.com and... As a bonus, you're going to get access to my exclusive wedding and portrait contracts and questionnaires at no additional cost. Why let fees chip away at your profits? Empower your photo journey with CloudSpot and watch your business soar. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, I, there are a lot. There's a woman named Wendy Schneider who I've never met. And uh, she's, I think she's out of Colorado. And her work... It's so idiosyncratic. It almost looks like uh, there's a real painterly element to it. But whenever I see her work, I know exactly. I, I know. I know exactly that it's hers. There are many, many others. Uh, I'm. I'm not. It's. I, I'm sure I'll think of a bunch. And uh, uh, Ryan. Uh, Ryan Shooty, who's in the book, he does these amazing. They're almost like uh, Jeff Wall type. Yes. Very large kind of tableaus. A lot of characters, and that they're 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 definitely they're they're staged. There's uh, George Byrne is out of L.A., uh, whose work is copied a lot, but he was the first person that I've, I've seen him doing very, very illustrative kind of style. Uh, flipping through the book now because I'm sure there, I'm sure there are a lot in the book. It's funny. I actually had it opened to Ryan's page uh, right before this interview, and I closed it to bring the book over here. And now I wish uh, that I didn't because – uh, as you said, I mean, th- there's there's a lot there. Obviously, the characters. I was drawn to the uh, uh, to the landscape photos that he had had. Just the just the light that was being used was absolutely phenomenal there. Um, the question that I wanted to know was, when you look at photographers with a, a clear photographic, um, I'm sorry, a visual storytelling ability, right? Like you look at their work and you know that it's theirs. What are those elements? Like okay, hold on. Sorry, that was that was way too vague of a question. <laughs> that was way. <laughs> yeah, too how long do we have here? <laughs> yeah. Um, let's take Ryan for example, right? Ryan's work doesn't look like your work. It doesn't look like uh, Wendy's work. Is it? Is it simply finding one thing and just going really deep into that? Whether it be I don't know composition, light, you know, whatever the, the characters that you use, or is it uh, more? questioning yourself and the decisions that you're making uh, in order to, to create the photos that you want. I mean, I feel like we're kind of getting into like a philosophical, almost like existential concept of like, where do you get your voice? What, what makes you do the things that you do? Mm-hmm. And I think it, it all comes down to, yeah. Like uh, who, who are you as a person? Like, uh, do you have like an, ex- an examined life? Are you always questioning things? Are you, um, you know, what, what relationships have you been in? Like what, 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 and, and how have those relationships in your life affected you? Uh, I think your work is a result of every book you've read, every, you know, every like great love you've had, every, every um, adventure that you've had, every, every exotic place you've traveled, uh, every great film that inspired you, you know, or piece of art that you've seen that you, that just stops you and arrests you in your tracks and just makes you look at it and silences your mind. You know, the silence is the chatter in your mind. And, and I think all that stuff culminates over years and over time to hone your voice if you're paying attention and if you're if you're working it out too. And 
picking up the camera and 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 making art and editing your work, you know, narrow, honing it down, making those those hard choices, and it's not easy. Um, but luckily, there, there's no uh, punishment for making the wrong choice. You just kind of keep going. Uh, there's no harm. So you just got to you just got to keep keep sharpening who you are as a person. And this is what artists do that makes us different from I think the average you know the average person you know is that we're always asking questions or we're always looking stuff and we're you know we're we're more sensitive you know we tend to be more sensitive to things and and we're we're catching things we're seeing things. There like there are two kinds of two kinds of sculptures. There's sculptors. There's a there's additive and subtractive. And someone will will take a take a, a, a just a lump of clay and build something from from that. And some will take marble and reduce it down, you know, to something that uh, something. And I've heard of filmmaking being compared to that. You know, where you have like documentary. You know, you're you're taking a bunch of elements and you're reducing it down to something, as opposed to someone who's just a real visionary filmmaker who's just building something. You know, just creating something from 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 nothing or from you know, so something that's a preconceived notion that's in their head. So yeah, so that that's something to consider too. Like, are you someone who is going to go out and and just hit the streets and find things and then create art from that, or do you have things in your head that you want to just create that you could do in your home? You know, by by you know, building things and documenting, shooting them still live, you know, creating still life pieces there's kind of two different ways of approaching photography from that way too. Do you think that you can properly look at both sides of that spectrum and appreciate it equally as being somebody who oh, yeah. doesn't go out and create large images? Do you think that um, looking at those has more weight to you or, or less weight to you? Yeah, no, no. I, I value everything. I, for me at the end of the day, does it, does it give me an emotional impact? Is it an impactful image? you know, that hits me like on a gut level. And for example, Ryan's work is very much created, you know, from nothing and it's very much fabricated in a way and it's brilliant and I love it. And it's in the book. <laughs> I yeah. had it. It's been in a couple of my shows and he's great. And I, I wish I could afford uh, his work. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, um, you know, I feel like you kind of, I don't want to say that you shied away from like, Oh, well, this is turning like kind of philosophical and how do we answer these questions? Um, but for me, I really feel like those questions are really important, uh, or I guess, I'm sorry, not those questions, but those answers here are really important for photographers to hear that, like, it's okay just to like whatever it is that you like, you know, if Absolutely. you like it, you like Absolutely. it for a reason. Um, and I think that that's going to give a lot of people hope. So every photographer who you look up to, every artist started somewhere. Mm -hmm. Everyone picked up a paintbrush, picked up a pen you know, picked up a camera somewhere and just started making images and just started doing it. Everyone. So everyone should absolutely be inspired. Like, there's no reason not to do it. Everyone, if, if you want to do it, you should do it. it. It should be fun. It should be something that you want to do. It should be something that you're gravitated towards. No one's making you do it. I, I have a, I have a, I don't want to say that it's an opposite take on that, but I am very much, um, I would say it's more of like, I'm a creature of habit, right? Like if I, so uh, in 2017 and in 2018, I did this thing. It was uh, it was this app called One Second a Day, right? You just take a picture or a video with your phone, and then you upload it to this app, and then it at the end of the year you have you know three hundred and sixty five second long video of your entire year. Twenty seventeen it went great. Twenty eighteen it went great, and then I skipped like two days, and I haven't done it since. You know, um, and I think for me there was there was a lot of days where I didn't want to do it, but like I almost had to force myself to do it because if I didn't, I know that I would stop doing it completely. And I love that idea of like, oh, no, if, if you want to do something, like just go out and do it. And if you're not feeling inspired, like don't do it. 
But I personally feel like I would just never get anything done if that was the case. Does that make sense? Well, you're specifically talking about a long-term project that involves specifically doing something every day. Okay. So yeah. that, that's a very specific example. And that's in true. that, okay, so then then in a year when it's done, you'll probably get the you will be happy for having done it. So that 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 is a happiness that you'll get from it. That is a gratification that you'll get from it. Yeah. So it, that's a deferred gratification. Um, but then another question is 10 years from now, if we look at your body of work and we look at this this video that you created that one year that was maybe uh, uh, maybe more of a struggle to 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 execute is that going to be one of your top 10 pieces of your of the last decade mm. or you know like so that's going to be the ultimate question so we're making things for 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 we're making we're just kind of constantly i don't know for me i'm just constantly building this body of work and and I'll think about it later but <laughs> but you got to have fun along the way you do got to have fun along the way. That's that's very true. Um, how would you define fine art photography? Uh, fine art photography is um, something that someone would want to buy and put on their wall. Something that they would uh, something that maybe tells a story. I'm I, I'm sure that I'm sure there's a definition somewhere that's much more succinct. This is just off the top of my head. Yeah. Uh, commercial photography is someone paying you to do something. Fine art photography is the end result of a passion. It's it's an it's an art. It's something that's can be decorative. Do you think that uh, oftentimes I've seen like street photographers go out and just like, you know, it's just a point and shoot. They just go out and then they just, you know, essentially it's a it's a, a disposable camera. You know, they'll go out and they'll create these like amazing looking photos. But it almost seems as like there's not much intent behind the photo. They just went out and just started snapping away. Um, do you think that that is that that style of just going out with very little control over your camera. Uh, do you think that those photos could still potentially be considered fine art? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Cartier-Bresson considered himself an amateur. I mean, he shot with, I mean, I think it had more control, but it was very, very small, uh, almost basic like a camera. point shoot, mm -hmm. uh, very, very basic camera. And he's to me, one of my, he's my favorite photographer. So, um, yeah, I mean, but again, going back, the, the tool is not, uh, it doesn't make the, uh, the, the, the tool is not the important part. Like when you go to a gallery, you know, I'm not always thinking, Oh, what camera was this? It's like, you're just looking at the, the final product. Of course. Sometimes you're thinking about the camera. <laughs> depends, on, depends on the piece, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? But, um, yeah, I think we keep getting back to, yeah. I mean, so in terms of intent, I mean, the, so that might, be a defining factor between like documentary and street photography, where you have an intent and you're shooting like a larger, there's a larger topic or a, maybe a subject matter or a theme that you're doing over time, then it becomes a documentary project. Uh, street photography is just, you just, I could take my camera right now. I live like a block from Wilshire Boulevard. I could go down and there are people right there. I could go start, start, you know, making photography. New York is great for that. You know, mm -hmm. big cities, you know, you have like people, I, people right there. LA is more of a car culture. So I'm shooting a lot for my car, which is nice to have like a longer <laughs> lens, uh, which is great. Cause you could kind of get in and out. And, uh, but, um, but yeah. And, um, uh, but again, it just got, it, it gets down to doing it for me. It's documentary for other people. It might be, you know, creating something or having like this vision of, of, of what they want to document. I, I think if you have kids, you know, most people gravitate towards, you know, shooting photos of the kids. So think of different ways, you know, you could do that. And you have like a, you basically have a free model. <laughs> they may, they may not, not be, uh, they were receptive to taking direction. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> they, may, they may not take direction very well, but, uh, but yeah, think of creative ways you could shoot your kids. 
wherever you are, I mean, you, if you have a cell phone on you, you could always be be documenting and it's digital. You could throw it away. You don't have to pay for the film. You don't have to pay for the processing. You can just delete it at the end of the day uh, or not, or keep it. And then look at it in a few years. It's, you're probably going to like it. It's going to, it's going to have more value. It, 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 it luckily photography ages very well. Yes. You can, you can take a photo of something mediocre, look way better 50 years from now. It'll look great. <laughs> Cause it'll be this, this time piece, you know? Uh, isn't that funny? Isn't that so funny? I love photography. Photography is weird and photography is great for sure. I feel like where we're going right now is is space for like 10 more podcasts. So uh, I think that we're at the end of this one today. But before I let you go, can you let listeners know where they can uh, learn more about you, um, your work and where they can find your book? Yeah, uh, the book is available. Uh, um, I would recommend going, if you go to my website, it links to one of my favorite bookstores, uh, Arcana Books of the Arts, and you can buy it directly from them. It's the same price everywhere. It's actually almost sold out. Um, it retails for $50. Um, you can get it directly through the Los Angeles Center of Photography for a little less if you find it on their website. Uh, but I, rec- I really recommend trying to support independent bookstores, independent booksellers. They took a huge hit during COVID. And uh, you know, they're doing the God's work. And as uh, an artist, again, that, that's one of your best opportunities to go out and look at a ton of work, go to a bookstore, you know, crack open a book. It's it's not stuff that you're going to necessarily find on social media or, or on Instagram, like you just said. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, through my website, my name is a little tricky to spell, but if you uh, I go by full on rad as in full on radical on Instagram and you know Facebook and, and I'm easy to find. Hopefully you'll have a, a link to my website as well. And you could read a lot of press about the books and you could find all my books there. And um, I guess if it's one last thing to say to inspire people is just grab your camera or your cell phone and just go out and do it and, and do that. And then also spend a lot of time photo editing. And if you want to curate, just find a space and put up some walls. And I'm sure you'll find a ton of photographers who, who will be very happy to have you exhibit their work for them. Just real quick, a huge shout out to Michael for coming on the podcast and sharing his wealth of knowledge. Uh, it was a wonderful conversation. If you like this episode, then I want to encourage you to check out episode 234 with Jessica Bellinger about how to use photography to shape your life. Jessica shares in the interview how photography helped her to see her life's purpose and interact with the world around her to make it a better place. So if that's something that you are interested in, then listen to the full interview. Again, that's episode 234 with Jessica Bellinger. Now, I have three takeaways from my interview today with Michael. And the first one was developing a unique voice. You know, focus on creating work that reflects your individual perspective and style to make photographs easily recognizable as your own. So after looking through hundreds of photographers for his book, what made photographers stand out was having a clear voice. Now, this can be achieved through continuous practice, exploration, and the integration of your personal experiences. Nobody else is going to have those. You bring those into uh, your unique art form, which is photography, and they will stand out. Takeaway number two is the importance of gratitude uh, and personal fulfillment. You know, uh, it, I think it's easy to find value in, in starting and committing to a long-term project. While understanding the discipline and patience required is, you know, constantly engaging you. But it's not until the end that the gratification uh, comes because it comes from completing these projects, you know, and and that pursuit of that personal fulfillment that you get in photography is not just one photo at a time, but it is through building something substantial, you know, and that 
is essential for continuous growth as a photographer. And takeaway number three is the importance of curation and editing. Making tough decisions uh, in curating your photos is not easy. It was implied there. It's it's tough decisions, you know, especially when you're taking photos of, of your family and your loved ones. Uh, but learning how to do it is one of the most important skills because while you can learn the technical side of photography, you also have to think about if you're sharing your work, what the viewer is going to think about these images, how the viewer is going to perceive them to know if they're going to understand the story that it is that you are trying to tell them. So curating your photos and editing them down is so important to be able to create uh, emotionally impactful and relatable images. Now, I want to invite you to share your biggest takeaways with me and uh, everybody else in the free and private Beginner Photography Podcast community, where you can connect with others and share your ideas and ask questions as well. So come on in, join us. You can join today for free over at beginnerphotopod.com forward slash group. Until next week, remember, the more that you shoot today, the better of a photographer you will be tomorrow. Talk soon. Thank you for listening to the Beginner Photography Podcast. Keep shooting, and we'll see you next week.